Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I'd like to study with you this morning as we remember the saints is the first reading from Revelation 7 that's printed out in the worship folder so that you can follow along. All Saints Day was technically November 1st, and because we had Mission Festival last week, we delayed our celebration to this weekend. And on All Saints Day, we remember the saints who have already gone to heaven before us. My Aunt Pat died just a couple of weeks ago, and I pray that she went to heaven. My father-in-law, Steve, died at the end of July, and I know that he's in heaven It's been almost eight years since my father went to heaven and over 23 now since my mom went. In just a few moments, when we do the prayer of the church, we'll read the names of the 12 fellow members of our congregation who also went to heaven in this past year. Some of those are your relatives, your friends, your fellow members. (coughs) And even if you didn't know any of those names or any of my family members, you'll think of your own. Regardless of how soon or how long ago it's been, and as you think of them, there will be a little sadness in your heart. Which is why we turn our attention to this vision from the Apostle John. He gives us a vision of all the saints who are already in heaven so that God can comfort us with this truth. Blessed are the saints. But who exactly qualifies to be a saint? I I think if you did a survey of 100 people and you played Family Feud and you asked them, survey would say a saint is someone who has done more good things than the average person, right? An extraordinary amount of good. Somebody like Mother Teresa or, or somebody else that works with the poor and the homeless and the hungry. But that's not God's or the Bible's definition of a saint. The Bible defines a saint as a holy person. Someone who is perfect, pure, righteous, sinless. Which is why we would all have to confess, well, we ain't no saints, right? Because rather than being sinless, we are absolutely sinful. In fact, Isaiah reminds us that even our righteous acts, even the good things that we do are like filthy rags. And I know it's graphic, but that word actually means a used feminine product. You can find another place in the Bible, I just read it in Zechariah, that describes wearing a robe that's literally full of feces. Sin is disgusting. And we're covered in the filth of our sin and our guilt and our shame. Anything but saints. But that's not what John sees in his vision in heaven. John looked up and saw such a large number of people. He couldn't count them. And they were from every nation, tribe, and language that covered the earth. While they were on earth, they wore all kinds of different clothes. They spoke different languages. They ate different food. They lived according to different customs. But when John saw them standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, they were all wearing white robes. And they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they were worshiping and praising God. Who are these people?
people. And how did they get to stand before the throne of God? One of the elders, which you can read about earlier in Revelation, was talking to John as he had this vision. And the elder asked John, these people in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And John said, I don't know. Why don't, sir, you tell me. You know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. What's that? The great tribulation. You know what it is because you're living in it. That's life in this world at least ever since the Garden of Eden. God created a perfect world with no sin and no evil and no suffering and no problems whatsoever. But then, then came the crafty serpent, the devil, who tempted Adam and Eve to doubt God. And in their doubt, they disobeyed God and they ate the forbidden fruit. And God told them, now life is going to be hard. And you've experienced every detail that God announced in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam, now the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles and work will become hard. And by the sweat of your brow will you eat food. You live that Monday through Friday. Maybe not if you're retired. You did. Even if you like your job. It can wear you down. It, it, it's not always easy to get up in the morning and, and to go to work and to slog through the day for whatever pay you might receive. God told Eve that there would be pain in childbirth and that your desire will be for your husband, and my paraphrase is, even though he's going to be a jerk to you. Marriage is hard. My wife will attest that one tone that's a little bit off can threaten to destroy the whole thing. Parenting's just as hard. Try to bless your kids and guide them through life. And, and when they turn like, what, 14 and 16, they start to push back and tell you, do it self. Well, Andrew said that at age two, but he's still becoming independent, right? And then you turn on the news or you start scrolling through your phone. And what do you find? War, crime, hatred, violence, bigotry, injustice. Evil, evil, evil. This world is the great tribulation. And we haven't even gotten to cold and flu and COVID season. Maybe we're on the verge of that. And, and then there's colitis and there's cancer. And then one day you're standing in front of the church in front of a casket. Or beside a grave. And even if you haven't been there recently, you still miss them. But these are those who have come out of the Great Tribulation. How did they do that? How did they escape this sinful world full of evil to stand before God and the Lamb? Well, the, the elder told John that too. He said, these who have, are they who have come out of the Great Tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They washed their robes. Interesting, because we can't. 
It's like the, the kids who are outside playing in the grass and they're rolling around and tackling each other and, and first they get grass stains all over the place and, and then someone scrapes an elbow and now there's little drops of blood on the shirt and someone else takes an elbow to the nose and now the blood is gushing and it's all over the shirt and the kids come inside and they're just full of grass and blood stains all over the place and they can't do anything about it. Mom, can you clean my clothes? Maybe she uses those new Tide Pods or... OxyClean or the little spot stain remover and does her best and maybe even gets them clean. But, but the sin with which we are covered, we can't get rid of those stains. You can't give enough money. You can't offer enough sacrifices. You can't do enough good works. You can't say enough prayers. You can't come to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough to do anything to get rid of just a little bit of the stain of sin that is on us, much less to, to get rid of the filth in which we are drenched. But God could, and God did. So how did they wash their robes? They stood before God while they were still on earth and said, Father, can you help? I'm sinful. I've sinned. Have mercy. Spare me. Forgive me. Restore me. And God said, I have. And God continued to wash away their sins as he promised in holy baptism to not just wash them with water as we think, but to wash them with the blood of the lamb. Isn't that another interesting thought? Have you ever thought, well, I've got some really dirty clothes here. Let me dip them into a vat of blood and that will clean them. No. But the son of God is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. God made the one who had no sin to become our sin so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. God turned those sinners into saints by taking away their sin and clothing them with Christ's righteousness. Which is why babies often wear little white gowns or suits and the pastor wears the white robe and the bride wears the white gown, all to symbolize that God made them holy. So that right now, the people that we love who died with faith in Christ, they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What are they doing? People ask all the time. Pastor, what are we going to do in heaven? Because it sounds good, you know, to see God and to sing hymns, but really forever? Do I want to do that forever? But you're missing the point. Heaven is not about what we will be doing. Heaven is, first of all, about with whom we will be. And John reminds us, or the elder reminded John, that they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They see God face to face. They feel the warmth, not just of the sun, but of God's light. They bask in the brightness of God's glory. They don't care what they're doing. They're with God, and that's all that matters. And in fact, we could argue that it's not so much about what we do, but about what God is doing. It says God will shelter them. Technically, that word says that God will spread his tent over them. He will protect them so that never again will they hunger. 
Never again will they thirst. Never again will the sun beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. Never again will they have to work for food or deal with the thorns and thistles of the ground or sweat on their brow. Never again will there be any arguments between spouses or parents and children or friends. Never again will there be hatred or racism or bigotry. Never again will there be crime or violence or war. Never again. Will they suffer from any kind of sickness, whether it's the common cold or the sickness that led to their death? And never again will they die. Because God has wiped away every tear from their eyes. Not only does God protect them, but the lamb at the center of the throne has become their Shepherd, another striking image. The Lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sins of the world. The Lamb has become the shepherd. Because God's saints are his little lambs. And those who stand before God in heaven, they lack nothing. Rather, the Lamb makes them to lie down in quiet pastures. He leads them beside living waters. He he doesn't even need to restore their souls because they're already fully restored. He's already led them through the valley of the shadow of death. He's prepared a table before them and there are no enemies inside their cup. More than overflows and goodness and love follows them not just all of the days of their life but now for all of eternity. It's no wonder that they stand there worshiping and praising God, announcing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. It's no wonder that they join the angels and the elders and the four living creatures who bow down on their faces and proclaim power and glory and strength and wisdom and honor be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And it's no wonder that even as we have a hint of sadness in our hearts, we too want to thank and praise God. Give thanks to God for the life that he gave those whom you love. Give thanks to God even more, not just for the physical life, but for the spiritual life that he gave them, washing them clean in the blood of the Lamb and forgiving their sins and clothing them in righteousness at their baptism. Give thanks to God that throughout their earthly life, regardless of all of the tribulations that they faced, God strengthened their faith by his word and the sacraments. Give thanks to God that the day finally came where he called them home to heaven. Give thanks to God that the people that you love now stand before him in eternal glory. And give thanks to God that he's done the exact same thing for you. We're still living in the great tribulation. Tomorrow's probably going to be hard, and if not tomorrow, the next day or the next day or the next day. I guarantee your husband will say something that'll make you a little upset Your kids will rebel, and even your grandkids might disappoint you. Someone's going to get sick. People you love are still going to face death. But God has already sent the Lamb. And even though we're still dripping in the filth of our sin and our guilt and our shame, God invites you into his presence every week. In fact, I pray every day so that you can simply say, Father, forgive me. And every week and every day, he announces, I already have. And he continues every day 
to wash you clean of your sin and to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. And he promises he will do that every day until the day when he calls you home to heaven. When we read the 12 names of our brothers and sisters in Christ from St. Paul's who have gone to heaven and, and you think of your own loved ones who are already there as well, I pray that God will use this vision to comfort you. Because the people that we love, they live in eternal joy. And one day, so will you. But even today, blessed are the saints. Amen.